0: Good morning. morning. Um, We've been going through a series of Genesis with Phil for the last six to seven weeks, I think, maybe eight weeks now. And uh, we've been looking at how God created the world out of nothing. Why, more importantly, why he created the world out of nothing and why he created mankind. And last week, the theme last week was looking at how God instituted marriage. And Phil was reminding us um, of how marriage is a symbol, really, of the dedication and the passion and the commitment of God to his creation. And he used some phrases that I found really useful out of the modern Church of England service for marriage um, that have sat with me all week. But even prior to that, I was trying to think of words for what I was going to speak about today, And in those vows, I think I got the prompt of what I was going to speak about. Phil reminded us that in the marriage vows, we say to our partner, with my body, I honor you. All that I am, I give to you. All that I have, I share with you. And he paralleled this as being Jesus acting out his marriage to the church In the New Testament, Jesus is described in several places as the bridegroom. And the church, us, is bride. And here we see a promise of the groom to his bride that everything I am, I share with you. And everything that I have, sorry, everything I am, I give to you. And everything that I have, I share with you. And Jesus, with his body, honored us. And that was what Phil was reminding us of Last week, and he also reminded us that we bring nothing to this negotiation, to this agreement, to start with. I don't know about you, if you've ever been in love, but you might have first seen the love of your life across a crowded room, and there was something about them that attracted you to them. I can see you laughing over there, Sarah. Something there's something unique about that person above all other things that caught your eye. And in fact, for some people, they wouldn't even catch their eye. Um, there's something unique about that relationship that attracts you to them. And it, we know that through what the scriptures say that when God created the world, He said it was good. He desired good for the world and He desired good for us. And there's something inherently attractive about God's creation that He enjoyed and pursued and desires. We bring nothing to that negotiation. And I agree with that. Until we enter into this life with Jesus, we can't do anything to change our position from where we are to being accepted and brought back to God without God doing what only God can do. But, this is where I disagree with Phil, and I can say it because he's not here, once we become followers of Jesus, I think there is a reciprocating vow that we take, just as the bride in the marriage ceremony reciprocates the, the, the vow to her spouse. He says, "All that I have, I share with you, uh, all that I am, I, I share with you all that I have I give you." The bride then says to the groom, "What does she say?" She says the same. And I think once we come to God through His terms and conditions, I think we have a response that we can vow and commit those things to God. So we don't bring anything to the table, but once the change takes place, we bring everything to the relationship. And that's what we're going to look at a little bit this morning. Does anyone here own their own home? Okay. Does anyone here have a mortgage Who owns your home? The bank. Does anyone rent here? Who owns your home? The bank, okay. If you buy something on your credit card, who owns that item? When does that item become yours? When you pay When you finally pay, likewise with your mortgage, I I say, oh, we own a house, a nice house in the countryside. But the house isn't really mine until I finish payment because the bank have got that covered. Those of you who have children, do you own your children? You'd like to, yeah. But if we've got a dog, we say we're dog owners. You know, we've got dog sitters and we have babysitters, so we've got dog owners. Do we not have children owners rather than parents? No. So who... Yeah, you see what I'm saying. So in Genesis, God makes the world. So God owns the world. There's a scripture that we've looked at already a couple of times, and it's from Psalms, Psalms 24. The earth is the Lord's, and some of it belongs to him. Is that right? No. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it, they belong to God. So God owns the world and everything in it, but he hands over tenure or responsibility to creation or to mankind to look after it. And the word that we use is stewardship, if you've heard of that before. He allows us to have stewardship over the earth. We're given responsibility to fulfill that command of God, to to fill the world and to make it flourish and to make it good. And the foundation of stewardship for the Christian is the same. Everything is God since everything comes from God. But we're given responsibility to look after it while we are given loan of it. So there's a difference between an owner and a steward. And this morning is going to get a little bit uncomfortable. Do we actually own anything? There was a bishop in America, Edwin Hughes, and he once delivered a sermon to his congregation on God's ownership of all that we have. And there was a man, a very wealthy man in that congregation, who took offense to what the bishop had taught. And so he invited the bishop to his house for dinner the weekend following. And when the bishop came to his house, he took him around all his land, his orchards, his woods, his stables and paddocks. And then as they sat eating their meal on the terrace of this beautiful mansion overlooking the estate, he asked the bishop, or he said to the bishop, now you're going to tell me that all this does not belong to me. And Bishop Hughes smiled and said to him, Ask me the same question in a hundred years. We're going to do an exercise about how we build our lives and what we build on. So I want you to put your hands out in front of you. I'll just shake them out. Okay, and we're going to put our fingers pointing to the ceilings. Okay. Every time I go through a stage of life, we're going to exercise our hands five times. Okay, so this is probably the normal source of life. So, we we grow, we're born, and we go to school, and we get an education, or maybe we increase our social skills. To the side. And when we finish school, we might start a job, maybe we'll like it, but it starts to bring us an income. Five times. And if we're fortunate, perhaps we fall in love, and we find a partner that we love, and we want to give ourselves to, and then... Maybe, just maybe between us we can afford to rent a home or perhaps, arms out straight, perhaps we could buy our first house and then maybe when the, the mortgage is paid, maybe we can get that convertible we've always wanted. And maybe perhaps we can travel a little bit, have nice holidays and, and maybe start a family. Or if we're really fortunate and we've done all that, we can plan our pension and retire happily. Your arm's getting tired. Okay, right, what I want you to do is I want you to grab the front of your chair, or perhaps the chair in front, and I want you to hold that tight. Okay? In and of these selves, those things aren't bad, are they? They're all good. In fact, for many of us, that's our normal existence. Are you holding tightly? But sometimes, sometimes we grip onto these things far too tightly. Are you holding your chairs tightly? Are your forearms burning yet? The problem is, and my experience is, is if we hold on to something that's very tightly, not only does it get very tiring, we can sometimes damage ourselves or we can even damage the thing that we're holding on tightly to. And to give you some examples, this is my country, I don't want it to change. This is my culture. I don't want any foreigners telling me how to do things differently. I think holding on tightly can be the root of racism. This is my money. I do with it what I decide. I want to keep it and it doesn't matter if you don't have any. And I think this holding on tightly can be the root of greed. This is my girlfriend, boyfriend, wife partner. I own her, him. No one is going to have them apart from me. No one's going to help me. Your arms getting tired, aren't they, Mary Rose? I can see. But we're holding on tightly. And I think that the heart of relational breakdown can sometimes be because I want what's right for me and not right for the other person. It's my rights. It's my truth. Are you still holding on tightly? you still holding on tightly? No, you're not. Are you? No. It's my health. I'm going to do whatever I can to sustain my health and keep me going. It's my life. I'm in charge. My arms are tired. Are your arms tired? There's a. Don't let go. There's a, a famous leadership guru. He's an author, but he's also a Christian. His name's John Maxwell. And he said this If I believe I'm the owner then I'm going to be in constant conflict with God over what I do with the stuff I have. But the moment I understand that God is the owner and I'm just the manager, then all conflict disappears because all that I have, my health, my life, my possessions, my family, everything is not mine, but his. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Okay. Excuse me. (laughs) This is not optional. Grab your chair. In fact, I think the thing is, the more we hold on tight, the less we see the goodness of God. And we need to learn to loosen our grip a little. In fact, I think we need to loosen our grip a lot I think it even gets to the point where we let go so much that we let loose our grip on life itself. What did Jesus say? In Matthew chapter 16, I think it should be appearing up on here, Nigel. Jesus said to his disciples, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good would it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? And this is the Christian paradox. To really live, to truly live as God intended. We have to let go of our, our lives. And that is really hard, but not impossible. But we have to treat it as though we were stewarding our life for the Father God who created us in the first place. Jesus himself surrendered up his glory and his life, and in Philippians 2 we read, at verse 5 verse 8, to verse 8, Think of yourselves the way that Christ Jesus thought of himself. He had equal status with God. But he didn't think so much of himself that he had to cling, grip tightly to the advantages of that status, no matter what. Not at all. When the time came, he set aside the privileges of deity and took on the status of a slave, became human. And having become human, he stayed human. It was an incredibly humbling process, and he didn't claim special privileges. Instead, he lived a sinless obedient life, and then died a sinless, obedient death. And the worst kind of death at that, a crucifixion. See, when I was thinking about today, this is deeply challenging to me. Maybe it is for you. I want to be the master of my destiny. I want to be in control of my goods. I want to be the head of my household. I want to have the biggest portion of pizza at the table. I I want to be the big kahuna. And to change from accumulation and gain to stewardship and self-centeredness isn't an instant fix. For some people, it can be. Sometimes people find it very easy to let go. When they come to faith and they understand the love of God that fills their lives and, and transforms them from the inside out, some things can go. But for many of us, it's not like that. For many of us, it's a lifetime of making small, incremental decisions that you are going to obey God and put Him first rather than ourselves. And I was thinking of this phrase that the things that we have are resources, not just tangible things, but the resources we have, time money, temperament, friendship, relationships, physical goods, material goods, they're on loan rather than my own. I like that. They're on loan rather than my own. So, what can we do about it? Um, Julie will tell you uh, that I'm very good at hoarding. I like to accumulate And in fact, every time we've moved house in the last 23 years, we've left stuff behind, a lot of stuff. We've given it away or sold it or just thrown it away. And every time we've moved, we've had more stuff to get rid of. So either I'm accumulating more or I'm not holding on to it so tightly. I think it's the former. But there are things that we can do that can be an antidote to this. And I think one of the things is to dedicate our resources to God. And dedication is setting apart something for a special purpose. Um, We dedicate children, don't we? Uh, When they're born, we we bring them to church and we dedicate them to God. We say, God, this child belongs to you. Have your way in their lives. We dedicate time to our hobbies and our passions and our career. We set aside time to reflect on the important things that are going to help us to move through our, our jobs. We dedicate time to a relationship. and I think it's good to dedicate time to thinking through what's on loan and what is not our own. So here are a few practical ways to practice stewardship um, by rededicating our resources. So, grab your chair again. Hold it tightly. So I'm going to put up seven ways that we can practically start to loosen our grip on things. And I'm sure you can think, even as we're going through them, you can think of specifics in your own lives where you can apply some of these things this week. The first one is to practice generosity to others. Dedicate time to thinking about Spending time with someone you wouldn't normally spend time with it's easy to be around the people that we love. but if we give us give away our time and our generosity in that way to people that we don't love yet, that is good for us. You can loosen your grip a little. Don't let go. Build up people with your words, be generous and actively encourage people and treat your words as if they were a commodity given to you by God. And that changes the way that you speak to people. You don't have to be in my household very long to know that we would do very well to listen to this as a guideline. Our words in our house can be horrendous. They can damage as well as build up. And so I have to physically think about, practically, how can I encourage rather than destroy with my words? Loosen your grip a little. We could offer our physical bodies to God. And you're saying, Dave, what do you mean by that? Um, There's a verse in Scripture that says, Therefore, because you're changed by God's grace and mercy, offer your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, because this is your spiritual act of worship. And do you notice that we're not told to offer our minds, but our bodies? There's something about this vessel that we live in That if we dedicate it to God, it is good for us. Um, Some of you may have heard of an author, Dallas Willard. He's a a Christian theologian. And he tells a story of one person that he knows who every year this person sets aside a day where they go to a retreat or to a quiet place and they rededicate their fingers, their hands, their toes, their legs, their head, their body to God because it's God's body. It's only on loan to us. And the body has a capacity to bless but also to sin. And so they feel it's important that they should rededicate their body each year to God recognising that the body belongs to God and not to themselves. That's pretty radical, isn't it? Loosen your grip a little. We move on. Be generous in your kindness. Uh, In Ephesians chapter 4, we're told, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgive one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Forgive, be kind to your brothers and sisters in the Lord. It will go well with you. But also be kind and generous to those people who aren't part of God's family yet. And how can you do that? Um, In lockdown, I don't know if you noticed, but people started to be a little bit more kind to one another. Kindness is pretty underrated, I think. And yet in lockdown, we started to see people caring about the welfare of people around them. And now that COVID is not quite so intense, I don't know about you, but I see it dissipating. And yet God's people, of all people who've experienced kindness and love, should be able to offer that to others. So I was in... I'm trying to practice this one, okay? I'm trying to practice it. So I was in Lidl, buying flowers, and here's the first practice, buying flowers for all the women in my house on Valentine's Day. Alright? I don't normally... Julie, I don't buy flowers often, do it. But I thought, I'm going to practice this. So I bought flowers, and previous year I did as well. And as I was paying for them at the checkout, the lady was there, she goes, oh, they're really nice flowers. And I said, yeah, I'm getting them for them. And as I walked away, I got a sense of a little gentle nudge, go and give her a flower. So I walked back to the checkout, I walked up to the till, and I said, I hope you have a really good day. And she smiled and thanked me. Practice kindness. I'm sure you can think of many other ways that you can do that. Loosen your grip, no. by practicing being generous in kindness. Bill Hybels, who was a pastor of a big movement in, in uh, America, but actually started a global movement. He used to go to a conference, and he he went into the the restaurant at this conference, and the, the waiter said, "I hate it when you Christians come here." He says, "Because you're the worst tippers of anyone that uses this conference center." And from that moment, Bill Hybels made a promise, an internal promise, that he would dedicate more of his money to tipping staff in a restaurant because he didn't want the name of Jesus to be associated with measly, miserliness. We can do the same. In fact, I now try and tip more than the 10%. All right? It's not a rule, but I want to do it because it's helped me to let go of the things that I hold on tight to. It's good practice. Which leads us very nicely on, be generous with your money. Oh my goodness, if you knew the heart of Dave, this is a big one for me. If we have people around for for food, Julie wants to lavish them with all the best foods. And I'm saying, well, that's quite expensive. Look, could we not get like the little version? She goes, no, oh, but but they're going to treat And I said, yeah, but... And Julie has the heart of God more than I do. She's so generous with her resources. But being generous with money is a challenge for me. And yet, God has been so good in modelling this to me through... Other Christians in my life, I have been amazed at how sacrificial people of God can be with their money. It's unnatural. But then being a follower of Jesus is unnatural. Now, Phil's not here, so we can talk about money. One useful way that I, a friend of mine, he taught this in the church six or seven years ago, maybe longer, he said this and it challenged me. Instead, instead of thinking how much of my money do I give to the Lord, he says how much of God's money do I keep for myself? Instead of how much of my money do I give to the Lord, tithes, offerings, gifts, how much of God's money do I keep and spend on myself? That changes it completely around, doesn't it? Wesley, um, he committed when he started earning money, he would live off of a fixed portion. Whatever he earned, he would give to the work of God. And when he increased his money through book sales, he lived off of what he had and he gave the rest to God. And when he became a speaker and he got gifts when he went to churches, he would keep what he set out at the beginning and anything else that he got, he would give to God. I'm not saying that's what we all do, but how much of God's money do I keep for myself? And it's right, by the way, to keep some of that for yourself, because we have to provide for our families, that's good, and we have to have recreation, that's good too, and they're not all bad things, but it's a different way of thinking about it, so just loosen your grip a little. I can see most of you loosen your grip already anyway. Be welcoming, point six, coming to the end, be welcoming in your relationships, so practice hospitality more. Um, I grew up in a household where we never had visitors. We weren't allowed to have friends in our house. And in Julie's house, they could not have people in their house. And so I grew up not knowing what it was like to be hospitable until I met Julie and her family, and they modelled hospitality to me. And now I want to be more like Julie's family, and she wants to be more like my family. (laughs) But we can't help it. We've got a big household at the moment. But schedule in time and resources in the month, in the year to have people with you. Jesus spent a lot of time eating with people. There's something that's good about practicing hospitality. And if you do it once this year and you didn't do it last year, that is progress. But practice it because being welcoming in your relationship is a good way of loosening your grip on things. And then in my mind finally, but I'm sure there's many more things that you can all think about. Be trusting in your future. What do I mean by that? Let go of worry. What did Jesus say about this? Matthew chapter 6. He says, Therefore, don't worry about tomorrow. Why? Because tomorrow will look after itself. I think Jesus probably had a good understanding of letting go and letting God. Didn't he say he only did what his father told him to do? So stewarding God's resources is appropriate and it's good for us, but it's not straightforward. But it is rewarding and it is life transforming, which is what the Christian life is about, isn't it? But we don't do it on our own. We're not helpless. We're not powerless and we're not passive. And I want to close on uh, this scripture. Philippians 2, thanks, Nigel. Therefore, if any of you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. By being like-minded. Having the same love, being one in spirit of one mind. And then he goes on to say, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking for your own interests, but each of you interests of others. The bride responds to the groom and says, all that I am, I give to you. All that I have, I share with you. And as the beloved of God, let's respond daily to his love by letting go a little bit more in the week ahead. Perhaps next week you come and you tell me stories of how you've gone through some of those examples. And actually, you felt the release of not having to hold on tightly to these things because ultimately, they're not yours to hold on to. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we want to say thank you. Thank you that you're a generous, bountiful, lavish God, and we are so grateful for the things that you have put in our hands. Father, we thank you for jobs, for income, for money, for friends, for family, for houses to live in, cars to drive, clothes on our back, the air in our lungs, food on our plate. Everything comes from you. And we are very grateful. And we give you the recognition of that each day. And Father, we need help. Because we need to understand more and more. I need to understand. We need to understand that it's not ours to hold tightly to. And that your plan for this world is to share your goodness in every way. And Father, I ask that your Holy Spirit would prompt us and we'd hear him prompting us to loosen our grip on things that it might be good for us as well as for your world and we ask for your help in that this week that Jesus might be revealed more and more in our lives and that people would see the goodness of God uh, demonstrated in us so we ask your blessing, God, for all of us here, for the rest of the church family that aren't here. I pray that there will be a rich blessing on our community, on our family, our neighborhood, with us being part of their existence. And God, we love you. And we want to say right now that all that we are are yours. All that we have are yours. And if we can't say that with complete... Um, Conviction, God, please help us to move nearer to that this week. That we would see what we have, and our time, our friendship, our relationships, our resources, not as our own, but on loan. Bless you, Father, because you blessed us. (laughs) Amen.